This is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, Josh Kinney and James Lee. Now, you may have wondered at one point, what makes an urban church vital? Is it its food pantry, its clothing ministry, or after-school programming? For the last 10 years or so, Broadway United Methodist Church in Indianapolis began turning the model of the urban church inside out. If you were to look for its food pantry, clothing ministry, and after-school program, you won't find any. Well, they used to be there, but these, what many consider staples of the urban church, were killed off. Broadway Summer Youth Program, uh, which at one point served 250 children a day, bringing them for Girl Scouts and basketball, they're all gone too. Uh, Broadway let the air out of the basketballs, they sent the Girl Scouts packing. And you may be wondering, why? Today on the podcast, Redefining Urban Ministries. And with us is Reverend Mike Mather, the Senior Pastor of Broadway United Methodist Church. So we're so glad to have you on the podcast, Pastor Mike. Thank you. It's good to be with you all. So, Pastor Mike, tell us tell us your journey with Broadway UMC and what led to these big changes. Sure. I was first at Broadway in 1986, and I was the neighborhood pastor at the time, and I ran the um, programs um, that, again, as you've talked about, were pretty much staples of urban congregations. Mm. We ended up uh, building a program, as you said, of 250 young people every day, nine to five, started every day with devotions, ended every day with devotions, built each week around a spiritual principle. It was great, but um, the last nine months I was at Broadway in Indianapolis, where I am now, but the last nine months I was there in 1991 before I left, I did funerals for nine young men under 25 years old in the four block radius around our church. Wow. Many of them had grown up in the programming that the church had run across um, the previous 15 years or so. And I left with this question gnawing at me. Actually, gnawing at me is sounds way too light. It, it really kicked me in the gut and um, challenged my faith deeply because here I was thinking that we were doing all this really good work. I mean, if nine young people die in a four block radius around our church, many of them who've grown up in our programming, then we weren't doing nearly as good as we thought we were. Wow. So I moved to South Bend, Indiana, to Broadway United Methodist Church in South Bend. And it was a tiny little congregation, 40 people, and it too was in the inner city. And in this place, we had a food pantry. And when people came to the food pantry, because we got government surplus food, we had a government surplus form that people had to fill out. And on that form, um, we, we would ask people, how much is your income and how much are your expenses? We're, we're a little congregation, just a tiny congregation of 40 people. What could we do with that? And there was nothing we could do with that information except put it in a file cabinet. Wow. So we came to Pentecost 1992. We had lunch every Sunday after church for whoever showed up at that little congregation. Or this woman says, you know, it's Pentecost Sunday, and you said, reading from the book of the prophet Joel, that God's spirit flows down on all people, young and old, women and men. 
And I thought, man, I'm a really good preacher. That's hmm. right. She remembers and it's going to have power since the sermon. That's a great but feeling. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is great. And I said, yes. And she says, so how come you don't treat people like that? Wow. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, when people come to our food pantry, we ask people how poor they are. If we believe God's spirit flowed down on all people, young and old, women and men, how come we aren't asking people that? Mm. So the very next day, we changed what we did. The day after Pentecost, we started asking people who showed up at the food pantry to tell us about their gifts. To tell, and we're not talking about those spiritual gift surveys often done in churches, right? You know, those. <laughs> I'm talking about something really practical, right? right? Like, have you taken care of older folks? Have you taken care of children? Can you play a musical instrument? Do you sing? Can you fix a toaster? Can you drive a car? And we asked three questions at the end. What three things do you do well enough that you could teach somebody else how to do it? What three things would you like to learn that you don't already know? And who besides God and me is going with you along the way? Hmm. Well, one of the first people who comes to us is a woman who lives about a block from our church named Adele Almaguer. And she told us she was a good cook. So we said, prove it. (laughs) And we said, well, cook for the custodian, secretary and pastor lunch on Friday and we'll pay you for it. So she cooked for us and it was great. Wow. So leadership of the neighborhood organization was meeting and we said, don't meet somewhere else. Meet here at the church and let Adele cook for you. So they did and they paid her for it and it was great. Over the next nine months, Studebaker Elementary School had a PTA meeting. She cooked for it. Um, Southeast Side Neighborhood Health Center had an open house. They needed food. She provided it. Memorial Hospital in South Bend had a press conference in our neighborhood. They needed food. She provided it. Well, then the Chamber of Commerce called. We want to have an all-day meeting of our leadership program in your church building. We said, well, that day works. You can do that okay. And they said, since we're going to be there all day, we need to use your kitchen. And we said, well, you can use our kitchen, but we would prefer you use our caterer. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> they said, okay. So we took 20 bucks and bought her a 1,000 business cards. They said, La Chaparita Catering, Spunky Tex-Mex Food. And she fed 70 of the business and civic leaders in the community. They passed out her business card to everybody there. Through that, she got connected to the Michiana Business Women's Association. And a year and a half later, she opened up Adelita's Fajitas at the corner of 8th and Harrison in Elkhart. Now, if we had asked her when she showed up, tell us how poor you are, we would have all ended up poor for it. And we would have missed a lot of great food. If she would have shown up to us the day before Pentecost, we would have not known this, but it was true all along. And to connect it to the question you asked at the beginning is, I'd been doing things that I thought you were supposed to do, right? If you're in the inner city, you do these type of things. But it isn't what my faith had taught me. It was what I was, I thought I was supposed to do, but all of a sudden with this experience with Adele, all of a sudden I realized, you know, this is what I actually believe. I do actually believe that God's spirit flowed down on all people, young and old women and men. So how come in the programming I've been doing, I always treat people like they're needy. Why am I treating people like they're needy and not needed? The the issue is nobody can use the things that are wrong with us what people can use are the things that we are gifted at. Interesting. And the same thing is true for people who come to us, quote, in need. 
Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is totally amazing. Awesome story. And I love how you connected it all the way back to that instance of when yes. she came in. So a, a lot of what you're talking about comes from the philosophy or the idea of asset-based community development. Is well, that true? I, I would say that asset-based community development comes from this theological idea. Right? There you go. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. So can you clarify for us what is it? What is asset, uh, asset-based community development and how have you specifically put it to practice at Broadway? Sure. So um, asset-based community development, when, when often people come and work in low-income communities, whether urban, rural, suburban, anything, what they often will do is let's start by doing a need survey. A little bit like coming to you and saying, so tell me what's wrong with you. Yeah, right, right. Tell me what you don't have in your life. No, that would be a, a miserable conversation. And those are the kinds of miserable conversations we've had. Asset-based community development, no, does what we've talked about from the beginning. Instead, it goes to people and it says, what are your gifts? I'm, I'm, I'm a little conflicted too. Um, and I understand that a lot of these uh, ministries in your church naturally died off. Yes. If you had the option, would you kill them off? If they weren't dying off, because I, I think about, and this is kind of the internal conflict and me just playing devil's advocate here, but I think about, let's say the food pantry, for instance, a food pantry ministry in an, in an urban context or a context where there's uh, poverty. Uh, I also hark back to Matthew 25, right? Um, you sure. fed me and you've clothed me and that's what you, you, what you did to the least of these you've done unto me, right? And I think Absolutely. a lot of these ministries are based off of that ideology. Um, so can I say something to yeah, that? Yes, <laughs> please do. Okay. So if Jesus showed up and asked for some food, would you say to him, do I have a great food pantry for you? <laughs> You'd say, come on over to my house, have dinner, and let's go get something, right? What? Wow. <laughs> Case <You> know, closed. <laughs> so you wouldn't. So a food pan. Wow. Okay. Ah. I mean, I think a food pantry is really helpful in places where people are actually dying, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. from starvation. Mm -hmm. That is not what's happening here. Got it. We went to the local hospitals and we said, "What do you see people for from our area?" The only people who were malnourished were those who were elderly living by themselves and in many cases forgetting to eat. Wow. wow. But the overwhelming food problem was diabetes. And childhood diabetes had increased in the 10 previous years four times. We never looked at that until we went and talked to the hospital. So if you go to our old food pantry, not only were we not helping, we were actually making people sicker. We were giving people fruit cocktail packed in sugar. Right? We were giving people um, green beans packed in salt. I mean, if you have hypertension, that stuff was <laughs> terrible for you. Right, right. Yet, we thought all we have to do is good, give food because we thought about Matthew 25, right? right? But again, if we look at Matthew 25, just as you said, James, Jesus says, you're doing this to me, right? Right, right. right. So if we think of each of the people we meet as Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. how would we respond in that situation? And he said, these are our sisters and brothers. Uh, one of the things we do in our church is, and I did this 
I think on Ash Wednesday, I asked people in the congregation, how many people in this congregation have had somebody living with them who, if they wouldn't have been living with you, would have not had a place to lay down their head? And a third of the congregation raised their hands. Now, we had read that night the passage from Isaiah 58 that says, right, take the homeless poor into your homes. I had never before celebrated, blessed the people who were doing that. I would bring a lot more attention to the homeless shelter, right? Right, right. But yet, if if more people did what people were already doing as an act of Christian discipleship by making a place in their home for someone, we wouldn't need homeless shelters. Yeah. Holy That's cow. right. That's right. <sighs> And again, this isn't <laughs> than what we actually believe. This is the; these are our texts. These are our stories. This is our faith. Hmm. Oh, that's that's powerful. Um. So we know that there was structured programming that was phased out for this new practice and this new way of thinking. Really, yes. um, is there anything? that took their place as far as programming or any kind of structure, or is it really just a flip of a mindset? So I would say two things about that. It is a flip of a mindset. There isn't really new programming except in one case. Um, We did continue some things during the summer, but here's what we switched during the summer. We hire young people in our neighborhood and we pay them to meet their neighbors. And they do three things. They name the gifts, talents, dreams, and passions they find in the lives of their neighbors. And by naming them, I mean they collect the information, they put it on cards, they write it up on walls, they, um, they mix and match that giftedness. The second thing they do is they celebrate that giftedness. We, we actually have them lay hands on people and bless people, right? Thank you for this giftedness that you give in this community. Thank you for the role you play here. Thank you for the garden you grow. Thank you for the care that you give to this other neighbor, all those types of things. And the third thing is they connect them to other people who care about the same thing. In the second summer that we were doing that, one of the people on our um, staff, who's also a member of our church, who also lives in our neighborhood, Um, was down in a bar in downtown Indianapolis. And part of his job was to go to this bar every Thursday night. It was written in his job description. And he had to tell three stories about some of his neighbors. And so he's down there telling stories about some of his neighbors. And there's a guy there from a large church in town who says, hey, would you come out and talk to my Sunday school class? So he did. He went out and talked to his Sunday school class. In the Sunday school class that day was the head of child and maternal health for the State Department of Health in Indiana. Hmm. We didn't know that until like two months later, I get a call from the State Department of Health. Now, when the State Department of Health calls you, it's usually not good. (laughs) Usually a bad thing. Like, uh oh. That um, can you can your people meet with our people this afternoon? We've been investigating you all for the past two months. Oh, even worse. This is not going well. (laughs) Then they said, our job is to make the people of this state healthier, and we haven't been doing a good job. And we're studying what you all are doing, and we believe that what you all do actually makes communities healthier. 
And we just got $250,000 from the Rockefeller Foundation, and we'd like to give it to you to build on this work you're doing. Wow. Unbelievable. So, and, and so we did. We partnered with them, but we said we will only do this if you will give every dollar of that money to people who live in our neighborhood. We at Broadway won't take any. But you, you know, so you're going to use um, IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis to oversee this. But we want you to hire people from our neighborhood to work alongside the researchers from the university all along the way with this, which they did. And so we did that over a course of time. But none of that would have happened if we wouldn't have taken the risk of shifting the way we we're doing things. But that was one, the only type of programming thing that I would say we continued. And just to be really clear, I didn't actually kill the things. They just actually <laughs> died. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the other important thing we did with that is when they died, we publicly celebrated right. that it had lived. Yeah. So um, at the end of worship, once a month, we would celebrate ministries that had died that's really interesting um so, so going back into this this yeah. this conversation about urban church and um the things that you're doing there so I, i've been to indianapolis several times and i have some of my closest friends live in the city <laughs> it's a great place but i do know coming from the east coast and i was i'm from philadelphia originally our cities are a whole lot different in the east coast than indianapolis um, they're much more compact and congested, and but I, I do have to wonder how that works in the context of Indianapolis as opposed to maybe another city like you know we have Camden. There's there's many issues that I feel like if we were to maybe cut some of the program and go more towards this way of thinking, it could be detrimental in some ways. Detrimental to who? Ah. Uh, I, I would assume the people in Camden, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's the opposite. <laughs> Mike is smiling really big right now and giving Josh a look. Uh, so, so how, how how much of this do you think is translatable to other contexts? Is kind of the question, I guess. Yeah. Let me just tell you that um, people from Broadway have been invited and gone to Camden and worked with people in Camden. Yeah. We've worked some in this context and worked with the principal of a local school there yeah. and. Um, who they've been very interested in this because, and you know why they are, is exactly, I think, what you're talking about, Josh, is the reason they're interested in it is because they know that what they've been doing hasn't worked. Yeah, you're right. That's right. And um, my friend from our parish who was out there a couple of years ago, I remember one day he called me just cr crying. He was out in Camden and he said, I'm just at a, a memorial that's outside for young men who have died and nobody knows their names. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like this, what happens a lot in programs is we don't end up learning each other's names. Wow. Yeah. I once had somebody in our tutoring program years ago when we had a tutoring program come to me and say, you know, my child's parents don't care about her. And I said, is that right? And she said, yes. And I said, what are her parents' names? Mm. And she said, I don't know. And I said, wow. so you don't know their names, <laughs> but you think you know that they don't care for her. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, none of us would appreciate anybody talking about us like that without knowing us, not only knowing our names, but really knowing us. Right. right, yeah. right. 
And, and again, I feel like we treat poor people as if they're somehow to some different species. Yeah, you're right. What Jesus did throughout his ministry was no, I mean, this is why he got in trouble for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, right? Yeah. Is because is because he treated people like they were human beings yeah. and not somehow different. Mm. And um, I think right. that's my my issue sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes with programmatic efforts. So going off of that, is there a specific story that comes to mind of a person that you know through um, you know this way of, of doing ministry, their life has been changed that you'd like to share with us? I don't think about the people whose lives have been changed out there. I think of how my life has been changed. Mm, yeah. yeah. I've been able to see and know God's gifts where I didn't see them before. Yep. Let me give you an example with the tutoring program, right? So when I worked there in the 80s and 90s, I would get tutors from Broadway, from Meridian Street United Methodist Church, St. Luke's United Methodist Church, Carmel United Methodist Church. I would get tutors from United Way. I would get tutors from Lilly Pharmaceutical. I never asked for tutors from our neighborhood because these people are poor. <sighs> right? right? They don't they don't know how to do something. They're missing. They're they're missing things. So we had started doing this thing that I told you about with young people and others meeting their neighbors. And I get this call saying, you got to meet Maya. Who's Maya? Well, Maya lives three and a half blocks from the church. She's 34 years old. She lives in the house her parents raised her in. She works at AT AT&T at night. And when she gets up at 11 o'clock in the morning in the summer, she runs tutoring at her house for the kids on her block. Wow. So I call her and I say, could you explain to me what's going on? She said, well, they come over and I said, what do you cover with them? And she says, I cover everything from phonics to Sophocles. I said, excuse me. (laughs) She said, well, if they don't know how to read, if we do phonics, if they do know how to read, we do Sophocles. And then every Friday I throw a barbecue in my backyard and their families come over and they present the work they've done now. We should not be saying to Maya, hey, come tutor in our program. We should be saying to Maya, how can we be a part of what God's doing in this remarkable work in what you're doing with Hmm. these neighbors of yours, right? right. And it's it's Maya's doing that's changing lives. And it's our calling as the church to witness to that, to show people that. So we went to IUPUI, again, the School of Public Health there, and we said, we're a church. We know nothing about evaluation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can you tell us what difference is like what Maya's doing, making in the lives of these young people? Because she's been doing this for years, and she, so they begin studying this, mm, right? Mm. And they see that income levels are better of people once they get out and have gone through what Maya does. As they grow up, they're doing better than kids on other blocks who haven't done this same thing. Wow. The other thing is, if they have trouble in school, right, they can come to Maya and talk to her. Because she lives on the block. If they're coming to a tutor at Broadway, what happens when the tutor isn't around? Maya's always around. And they know, oh, we have this power. This is our problem with, we don't like the language of empowerment very much around our place. Because empower means to give power. 
And our thing is that people already have power and that it's our job to act like that, to mm. show that yes. with what we're doing. Yes. And that the role and call of the church is to point out where God is present, where people think God isn't present. Yeah. So going into you're going into how do you measure this? And that's something that I can't help but ask. The reason why some of these more traditional ministry programs, if you will, uh, people like them so much is because they're measurable, right? So we have X amount of students in our program. We fed X amount of people. We have X amount of people sitting in the pews. Um, when it comes to this paradigm shift and applying asset-based community development, it becomes harder to measure, right? How, how, how do you how do you measure success, if you will? Well, at Broadway, I would say in, there's two different responses to this. One is in terms of the community, it's difficult for us to measure, but it is not difficult to be measured. So, like so, um, one of the things we've learned about this from the school of public health is that a dollar in a Hasidic community circulates 17 times before it leaves the neighborhood. When we first mm. started, when IUPUI first started charting this in our neighborhood, it went through somebody's hands less than once before it left the neighborhood. Wow. So our thing is, very practically speaking, as a result of what we're doing, can you tell us whether a dollar is circulating through people's hands more? If it is in the community more, then our economy is more stable here. You asked about the church with this and, and measuring people in the pews. Absolutely, we've done that. But I just want to say just a little bit of history at our place is in the, in the 1930s, we were the largest church in Indiana. We were not the largest Methodist church in Indiana. We were the largest church in Indiana. And when white flight hit in the 50s and 60s, people fled for the suburbs, right? And so um, even from the time I was there in the 80s and when I came back in the early 2000s, there was still a lot of people who would sit around and wring their hands about, you know, well, we aren't what we used to be. We used to have 3,000 members, you know. Now we have 400 members. Well, you know, so we aren't, we aren't anything like what we used to be. And so there was all the time this going on. And I think what's been so good in the life of the church is that now the discussion around Broadway all the time is not that, but how can we keep up with all the giftedness that's going on? When we focus on the giftedness that's around us and we do that structurally in our governing council, you know, in many churches that's called the administrative board, we call it a little something different in our place, but Usually it's a place for reports. In ours, it is not. We invite people both inside and outside the congregation to come and talk about their gifts and how they live out their lives of faith in the world. And then we talk about what does it mean to be a congregation who holds that. So the congregation, is, so the conversation is shifted from what are we missing to who are we now and how rich is that? If you think about that, and you think about that in terms of vitality, think about showing up for a church and people saying to you, hey, would you stay at our church because if you aren't here, we'll die. <laughs> that's, that's one strategy. That's one way, yeah. strategy. But it is a good church growth strategy to say to people, what, you know, life in this place. And thank you for the giftedness that you bring here. And so that's... 
in terms of keeping track. We don't have a problem with numbers. We have a problem that we think the wrong things are being counted when people count the amount of food that's given out or the amount of volunteers. So, Pastor Mike, we're we're very excited that you'll be joining us here in New Jersey on March 3rd for the Take the Lead conference. Um, and you'll be giving us uh, the keynote titled, What Does It Take to Chart a New Course? And also workshops on how to connect better with your community. For those who have registered or are on the fence about registering, what can they expect at your keynote and at your workshops? Can you give us kind of like a quick a plug for what someone can expect? Um, for At the workshops, I mean, we'll talk about very practical things that one can think about and do in a place to celebrate the giftedness, both structurally, also in worship, and also um, in our daily lives and practices uh, as congregations. So that's so what can happen. I hope that what people experience in the keynote is uh, a stirring of the imagination and heart to think about things in a new way and to flip the script in one's mind, but very consistent, in fact, completely consistent with our understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ and the way in which the gospel is played out in front of our lives all the time. I hope that people will be a little inspired by that. Workshops, lots of nuts and bolts, you know, less nuts and bolts in the keynote, but hopefully um, some things that will inspire. Amen. Thank you. Uh, before we close up, we have one last question that we ask all our guests. Josh, you want to yeah, take um, it away? On every episode of the Uncovered Dish, we have to ask what people's favorite Uncovered Dish is. So if there is a food that you could eat for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, My that would be the only thing, what would it be? Persimmon pudding. Persimmon pudding? Persimmon I've never pudding. heard of this. It's a southern Indiana dish. You know, not oh, know what persimmons are. <laughs> I know what persimmons are. I, I'm Korean, so we eat persimmons all the time. But persimmons pudding. Persimmon pudding. It's well, not a pudding consistency. It's it's more like a, a cake consistency. But we always okay. called it persimmon pudding, and I just loved it ever since I was a kid. And um when I lived up in South Bend, nobody knew what, what in South Bend, Indiana, nobody knew what persimmon pudding was. But when I moved back down to Indianapolis, thank God, it was not just heathen. I'm going to have to ask my, my indie friends about that. That sounds interesting. Yeah, actually, Pastor Mike, when you come to Jersey in March, we'll be there. So if you don't mind bringing some persimmon pudding, we'll, <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. we'll, we'll give our uh, personal review. Yeah, you give a review. Uh, oh, you, all, you all do it all on this show don't you yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right again that was we were with pastor mike mather he is the senior pastor of broadway united methodist church you can find out more about him and his ministry at broadwayumc.org also if you love what you heard today uh pastor mike is the keynote speaker and also will be giving workshops at the upcoming northern region day of learning Take the Lead, Tools of Lady, on March 3rd at Bethany Wayne United Methodist Church. You can register today at gnjumc.org slash events slash take the lead. Pastor Mike, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to seeing you in March. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. This podcast was produced by the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey at the media production studio of the Mission and Resource Center in Neptune, New Jersey. And a special thank you to our podcast ministerial intern, Paul Barnett. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. Till next time, take care.